It's 12 and up, season 12, episode 1A, The Rylage, with your host, Jonathan Malone, and guest host, Michael Strickland. 12 and Up is a podcast about Christian faith and culture in the modern age. Your host, Jonathan Malone, is the pastor of the First Baptist Church of East Greenwich, Rhode Island. Michael Strickland is the pastor of the First Baptist Church of Atchison, Kansas. This podcast is brought to you by Jonathan Malone's overwhelming excitement and joy for Christmas. You just can't help but wear the bells, sprinkle the glitter, put on the Santa beard, because he just loves Christmas. And by the Puritan approach of Christmas, ban it, make it illegal. I, I, season 12, wow, 12 seasons, so this is, I'm trying to get back to my doing rylages and uh, deep conversations and what you into and scripture and all that fun stuff, uh, so here we are, I'm the first episode of season 12 and going to have a rylage that I recorded with Michael Strickland just a couple weeks ago, about a week and a half ago, and I'm trying to get it out there as quickly as I can because we do refer to Advent and I have a couple of days left as the day I'm doing this intro. Um, until Advent is over, so I want to get it out there. So Michael and I have been able to talk about things, and, and and you would think with all that's happening in the news, we would have so much topical information, topical things to get into. But being who we are, Michael and I instead managed to go into some kind of esoteric diversion and rile about other things that really could happen anytime. That's just who we are. That's how we roll. Uh, I don't know what else to say about that. Uh, but it's always good to get together with Michael. He usually does the Bible portion, but I wanted to see if he still got angry about things or if he was just so stuck in Scripture that he just didn't have the wherewithal to be angry. And you know what? I don't know if he does. I don't know if he can. Regardless, it was good to talk to him. It was good to be able to record this episode. And I hope you enjoy the rileage that I have with Michael Strickland. Rileage! I'm here with Michael Strickland. Michael Strickland is the pastor of the First Baptist Church of Atchison, Kansas. Birthplace of Amelia Earhart, the most haunted place in America, and that's all it's known for. You got Those anything? two things aren't related, though. Well, maybe. We to have... the best of our knowledge. <laughs> yeah. Do you have anything else that you brag about with Atchison? Um... That silence is uh, telling. <laughs> yeah, silence is telling. <laughs> so, uh, you know, the Atchison, Topeka, and the Santa Fe Railroad. So there's that. Wait, what? Say, say they do what with the Santa Fe Railroad? So the, the old railroad name, the uh-huh. ATSF, Atchison, Topeka, and Santa Fe. That's the name of one of the r- old rail lines. All right, so first, let's back up a second. Tell me more about these rail-lined things that you're talking about. <laughs> I don't know what that is. <laughs> okay, so, so the Atchison, Topeka, so, Santa Fe rail line. So, yeah, I guess there's that yeah. going for you yeah, as well. It, so. 
It's kind of like a monorail, you know, like your uh, 401k is invested in. Oh, right. <laughs> that's, the, that's the American Baptist pension plan. <laughs> I told them, I said, put it all in the monorail. It's coming. Put it in the monorail. Rhode Island's going to get a monorail, gosh darn it. This, because we this only guy need with one. A, this guy with a monocle showed up at the region <laughs> office, and that was all that there was left to it. He was singing songs about it, so I thought, that's all I need. If, it's, if he says it in song... It has to be true. Right. I heard there was a trombone. 76 of them, to be precise. Oh, yeah. I thought that was an exaggeration. Well, that's 75 too many, if you ask me. (laughs) Ah. So anyway. Sort of with those double reed instruments, I understand. Hey, 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 careful. (laughs) 76 too many. (laughs) At least we have firewood. At least our, our instruments are practical on many levels. (laughs) <laughs> so our my the loyal listeners will think Michael Strickland this must be a bible episode. No. And, and I'll tell you why. Every time I I have you on Michael to talk about bible, you again and again point out where I'm getting it wrong. <laughs> and and while you're accurate every time, <laughs> I thought maybe I'll have you on for a segment where it's not as easy for you to point out where I'm wrong. I'm sure you'll find a way. Aha, I've got you there. Dang it. <laughs> My rileage is the five Gospels. <laughs> no, you mean Yeah. Wait, is Acts part? No. Hey, I see what you did. Um, <laughs> no, I, th- I also thought the listeners should know that you're more than just a one-dimensional character on the 12 enough <laughs> roster of people that I have on. That well, you do have more to offer. I will tell whether that's true. Right, right. But <laughs> So this is the Rileage episode, and I haven't had a Rileage episode in a while. Um, and this is the 12th season. I was just thinking about that. I don't know what I'm going to do. I, this might be my last season. It, 12 is enough. It, it really, it, honestly. And I've been milking this out for a while, too. I've, We've I, noticed. Yeah, oh. And oh. so I thought it'd be good for people to know you in a multidimensional way. So the Go out with a bang. I understand. That's right. That's right. Now, this is um, episode one of season 12, so I still have plenty more episodes to go. And it's part one of episode one. <laughs> so, like I said, I, get, I, I really get a lot out of it. Um, do you have a Rileage you want to share? I, I have a Rileage, I guess, that I'll start with. Okay. And we'll see where it leads us. Good. Let's go. All right. So... Uh, I guess my rileage for today is that words have meaning. Say more. And and you can't just take words and make them mean whatever you want them to mean or pretend that they don't have meaning. I literally don't know what you mean by right now. Well, that's okay. (laughs) You don't know what I mean when I'm talking about the Bible either. (laughs) I think we read different Bibles. I think that's part of it. <laughs> so, uh, no, I, I actually, so, I think I know where you're headed. Go ahead. Well, well as an illustration, yes, I will. Uh, I will uh, invite an OK Boomer moment. Oh, right, uh, right. All right. So, um, in our youth group right now, we're working through a list of topics that they have chosen and set, and mm-hmm. one of them is they wanted to talk about dating. Oh, okay. <clears throat> And I thought, okay, that's great. We can talk about dating. We can do that. You're young and but hip. Uh, you can connect with them on their level oh, about yeah. dating. Yeah. Right. 
Right. Right. For, One of my many superpowers. Well, for the listeners who don't know that Michael in his day was known as a real player. He, uh, he got around. But go ahead, Michael. I did. I had a lot of trumpet engagements back in the day. <laughs> well, better than a trombone, uh, Especially I guess. around military holidays. Everybody wants a trumpet around when there's a military holiday. Yeah. Or to so. play taps. Yeah, exactly. But go ahead. So what happened with the youth group and you're talking about dating? So anyway, we're talking about dating. And as we start talking about this, Mm -hmm. I realize uh, maybe even more fully than I had expected that dating for them today looks – it's completely not recognizable to me. Hmm. Uh, When I think about what dating looked like when I was was their age, right? Yep. And so I had to start asking some questions about, you know, what do you mean by this and what do you mean by that? Right. And and okay, well, let's let's back up and start. What does this process look like? How do you get from A to B to C to D as you're moving through here and everything? What and, is this junior high youth or high school youth? A mix. Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah. So for some of them A to B to C to D is standing next to each other awkwardly holding hands maybe smiling that that's b or at least c right okay yeah so it's still even like making personal connection is is, is, uh, all right right yeah so so as an academic i understand that sometimes words get technical become technical terms as they should or or, and they can be used in a technical term that's as a in a with a definition as a technical term that's different than what, uh, you know, society as a whole might use. I love so, how we're, we're making it more complicated than it should be already. Exactly. Fantastic. That's, that's what I do. Yeah. Right? Um, so there were a couple of terms that kept coming up in the, in the context of this. Um, you know, one of them was talking, which I understand is sort of like phase one of dating. Talking is. Talking is, right? Okay. Except there is no talking when you're talking. And in fact, for the most part, you're not even acknowledging one another's presence publicly at all, let alone acknowledging that you're talking with one another. Talking involves uh, usually electronic texting only. <laughs> and so I'm scratching my head at this. And, you know, another good example, maybe so from funny. this conversation with the youth, was uh, <clears throat> exclusive which that term came up two or three times. Mm-hmm. And I thought it meant something like um, uh, fidelity to the relationship. Oh, great way to put it. That's good. I like that. But that isn't what it means at all. I'm oh. not sure that I ever fully understood what it meant, but they made it very clear to me that that's not what it means. <laughs> wow. So what does it mean? So, oh, you don't I know. don't. Yeah, I don't. I didn't quite. Again, I'm trying to figure out how do words have meaning. Uh, in the midst of all right, this, right? Yeah, that... the the other youth leader who was sort of present and watching all this was an individual with a couple of master's degrees himself, and made a comment afterwards that this looked to him like a linguist encountering a primitive society for the first time. <laughs> and I don't feel like he was too far off. Yeah. Okay. So so anyway. I'm using these as sort of funny illustrations, perhaps. Um, But it seems like more and more and more I'm encountering people using words that have a meaning. Mm -hmm. They just either don't know the meaning or don't care about the meaning or decide it means something else entirely. 
whether we're talking religion or politics or just interpersonal communication. So mm, right. words have meaning. Yes, they do. Yeah. So, which is why I use the example, I literally don't know what you mean, because one of my pet peeves is people, and it's not, I'm no longer about misusing the word literally, it's just using it at all, uh, because the use of it, nine times out of ten, will be misused. So just stop using it. Stop using the word literally. You, you don't is that know what a you're literal saying. statistic or a figurative statistic? No, it's an anecdotal statistic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, that was, I, I completely agree. Words yeah. do have meaning, yeah, and when they're, when they're misused, um, or even when the nuance is missed. Now, one could can, can respond and oh, say, I'm waiting for this. <laughs> say, grammar is not so much proscriptive as it is descriptive in the same way. Absolutely. Right. And so while words have meaning, the meanings are fluid. Yeah. And it's the way they're used, because even to say dating when you first said I was talking to my youth about dating, I thought you meant like carbon-14 dating. That's really what I – because when I hear youth and dating, I hear archaeology because that's what the youth are into today, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I don't know. We'll keep digging. So I yeah. – I, that's what I – you know, the word dating itself, like, you know, it, why does it mean people forming relationship and, and being somewhat intimate with each other? Dating has no sense in that. It's either calendar-based or year-based or something. But all of a sudden, for oh, not all of a sudden, for some reason, that word itself doesn't mean what it means anymore. But the context suggests that it does, or the usage, the general usage. So what's your problem, Michael? Just get with the time. People don't go out well, for a malted drink anymore when they want to be courting each other. They don't put on their varsity sweaters and, and, and join each other for a sock hop. It's not how it works anymore, Michael. That's, that's why no one came to the church sock hop this year. <laughs> they, were, they would say, I don't even understand who yeah. wears socks anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so, so actually, my, my, pet, my peeve about this isn't... I want people to comply with grammar. Or your grammar, anyways. Or, or my grammar. Right. Yeah, that, that's not it at all. Okay. It, it's, it's actually that matter of communication being impeded. Mm. So, so here, here, I'll use a, a more biblical-minded illustration for this that I think is even more uh, – uh, is even a better illustration than, than your dating thing. It was my and dating that thing. <laughs> It's not any of my business who you're dating, okay? <laughs> I'm just saying exclusive means something very different for me than it does for my wife. That's what I found out. <laughs> but go ahead. <laughs> um, the word myth, M-Y-T-H. Oh, oh, okay. I thought you were Kermit the Frog saying this. <clears throat> no, no. So, you know, to, to people who study story, for like instance. Jo- right, like Joseph Campbell. Uh, right. Myth doesn't have any connotation of true or false right. per se right um it, it it involves a story communicating some sort of uh foundational reality that becomes an identifying trait for an individual or people right yep that's a myth but yes. if i'm sitting in a Sunday school class, and I refer to the myths of Genesis, the average person sitting there is going to think, I just said, none of this happened and it isn't true, they, they would whether be, or not I believe that. Right. They would be clutching right. their pearls right away. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, like, yeah. I mean, I, I get that words can have a technical <clears throat> con, uh, technical meaning in one context and, and, and 
and a looser meaning in other contexts and so on and so forth. But if I want to communicate to that Sunday school class, I'm not going to use the word myth because it's going to turn them off. Even though, I got to use the right language for the context that right. I'm speaking. Even though myth would be the best word to really convey what you're trying to say. At least the most succinct way. Yes. And, and there's something to be said for efficiency in communication. I agree. So I, I think nuance is what we lose. At yes. least. At the least, what we're losing is nuance. Because when we use words properly or as they have been understood, as the understanding has been passed on, you know, the, we try to pick the right words to really get the nuance across that we're trying to get. So when you say, I want to talk about the myths of the Old Testament, I know it's more than just the stories that you want to talk about. Like, if you want to just talk about the stories, you would have said that, but there's something more that you want to get yep. at. Right. You know, so that word is really quite good in giving the nuance of what it is, where it is you want to go in the conversation. Right. But if you right. can't use the word, then we can lose some of the nuance. Right. And, right. and yeah, and I think this does get in the way of our conversation and leads to um, a polarization. Uh, one of the be- I think one of the best uh, um, ways to combat polarization or divisiveness in our culture is nuance. You know, nuance, if nothing, if, you know, along from, aside from just complicating situations and making people f- all fall asleep because you start getting into all the little bits and you know, little things there, it actually shows where um, situation or ideas or conflicts are much more complicated than we think. And you can't just go on one side or the other, but rather you have to say, well, on the one hand, but on the other hand, and maybe I find myself agreeing with this side a little bit and disagreeing a little bit. And now I don't know if I can hate them so much anymore. Is this more of your middle way crap? <laughs> um, heuristic is the word I try to use, not oh. crap, but it's my middle way heuristic. Okay. Oh. <laughs> Scatology is not my forte, no. so. <laughs> but I totally agree with you that language has meaning uh, and yeah, and when we start to use words without any sense of the meaning, we do we lose depth, nuance, and ability to really communicate. Well, and I, I think that's part of the isolationist piece. Yeah, that at least as I see it, that as soon as you start using words in a way that is contrary to the way that people around you are using those words, you are setting yourself apart from them in a way that is only going that divide is only going to grow. Right. Um, and, and personally, I feel like we got far too much division happening and increasing every day for me to want to see more and more happening because somebody just decides they're going to, you know, use a word in a way that it's never been used before. Right. Right. And now there is also, there are also the times when people will use a word or phrase that has a deeper layered meaning, um, but won't admit to it. Yeah. Let's, um, Let's take, for example, uh, make America great again. Yes. And we could say, I'm just talking about returning or trying to pull back this greatness that we've always celebrated in our American history. There's nothing right. racial about it. Right. Why are you so opposed to us strengthening the fatherland? Right. <laughs> yeah, even, yeah, even using the phrase the fatherland, is I, it made me cringe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. So, I mean, and to say, what? There's nothing racial about that phrase, the fatherland. What's the big deal? It's just a word. It's it's just the parent country we come from. Right, right. right. And, but then to say, but don't you know the history of that? And usually they do, which is why they use it. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, that's and that's another t- example of misusing or deliberately obfuscating meanings of phrases or words. Right. Um, yeah. Well, and, and along this line, and sort of circling back, weaving back to church-related matters as well. Mm-hmm. There are lots of words that will get used in the context you're talking about, where the person using the words maybe actually believes it's just a word. Right. But they're they're not aware of broader contexts that can be harmful and destructive to other people as well. Yeah, and so you you, you end up with those kinds of divides there happening, um, happening as well. And you know, whether it's you know the the pronouns that get used to talk about God or biblical characters or um, you know naming realities in the Bible with 21st century terms like uh, rape or mental illness and things like that. I mean. Right. Some of these things can be incredibly either divisive or empowering, mm. depending on your own situation and experience. Um, but to somebody who is, um, well, someone who is more like you and I, Jonathan, and we, we tick that majority box in almost every category, um, you know, we could easily overlook the ways that our language can be damaging and harmful to others. Yeah. Yeah, so there is there is a way in which our la- our language does need to change, but it has to come out of a deep sense of understanding what our words really could right. mean. So people are need- the word building that relationship, building those communities, or are they throwing up walls that are dividing people? So one of the places where I struggle with that is the phrase "kingdom of God." Yeah, which is uh, from what I understand, that's a phrase that's in the Bible. Is that correct? Yeah, uh, once or twice. Once or tw- okay, good, good. For a second, I thought I might actually have to read the Bible, but that's why you're no, here. No, I got your back. Good, thank you. <laughs> Phew. <laughs> so, uh, I I understand. You know, that's the phrase that's used. I understand how that phrase "kingdom of God" can be off-putting for people. Mm-hmm. Um, that it has a very patriarchal um, connotation to it, and and I've heard other you know sovereign of God or reign of God or kingdom. Of God, I mean, there's other phrases. Mm-hmm. I have not made the shift, the the shift to other terms or phrases, um, in part because theologically, I think there's a point where we are led to say we do submit ourselves to Christ. Now, even in that phrase, I recognize that's a problematic thing, or can be a very problematic phrase to say. And I probably, if I was to preach it, find other words to use. <laughs> But luckily, it's just you, me, and yeah, nobody I, I, listens to these things. Joe Blunt is listening, so that's that's about it. It's like three of us. So, but there is a way, you know, the the idea, the conversion aspect of Christ of, of being a Christian, especially from an evangelical context, which as Baptists we are to a degree, um, yep. has this idea of giving your life to Christ, of of saying you are my sovereign, mm-hmm. and and the metaphor, metaphor imagery. Imagery, metaphor, which of, of kingdom can help one grasp that in ways that if um, others, if you soften it, you might not be able to. 
Uh, yeah. But I get well, how it's problematic, and I get you can easily find a lot of holes in what I'm saying, as you don't usually do, anyways. But this time, at least I'm admitting it ahead of time. <laughs> trying to nip it in the bud. There, yeah, I basically, yes. <laughs> well, you know, I think one of the stronger arguments to me about not using Kingdom, which I will readily admit I often use still as well, but one of the more uh, uh, favorable arguments to me is, is the idea that, uh, we don't live in a kingdom and what a kingdom is, is dependent upon the, uh, illustrations and imaginings of kingdom that we grow up with, which more often than not is sort of, uh, Disney fairy tales, princess kinds of stuff. And so if that is our context for what kingdom means, then talking about the kingdom of God Right. It's it's useless. It's meaningless, largely. Uh, the only way we can understand kingdom of God is if kingdom gets translated for right. us, and then we understand what that means. So that means we understand what kingdom means, but that's two steps removed at that point in time. Right. Yeah. And so I think if we're going to use symbols— Right. To communicate things, we should use symbols that we have firsthand experience with. Yeah. You see, this is where you're a better pastor than I am, because I would say because we don't live in a kingdom, we should use it because it's um, it's different enough to 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 awaken us in a way to how we are called to a, a different way of being, a different way of living. And, and then my job is to try to teach what is meant when Jesus says kingdom of God. What is the imagery? What is the what is so, the sense that he's he's so what you're from? what you're really saying? What you're really saying then is because the word is effectively devoid of firsthand meaning for a person, it gives you a greater opportunity to define it for others. But isn't that what preaching is? <laughs> we were using this centuries old, te- it's like two thousand year old text or more, and 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 we're supposed and then and we are the ones who give it meaning. That's what preaching is. We're taking something that they have no sense of already and saying, here's what it means. <laughs> we, quote, quote, we are the ones who give it meaning, end quote. Yep, I'll stand by I, it. <laughs> I feel like we need to sit with that for a while, John. Well, if nothing else, that certainly enforces the seriousness of preaching and of teaching. I agree with that. Yeah. I agree with that. And I agree that we are... We, we should be um, available, at least, right. as primary interpreters of oh, Scripture. Fine. fine. I'll give that <laughs> interpreters. Um, yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we are the ones who give it. <laughs> yep. I'm sticking by it. I'm, I'm right. writing it down so I can use that maybe in the title. <laughs> I'm I'm going to use it in my sermon this week too, but I'm going to use it as an illustration of bad theology. <laughs> well, you're going to love my rhyme. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. I, I'll also I'll also interject at this point in time. I don't know if you saw the smirk on my face earlier, uh, but you were uh, waxing eloquently about the power of efficient language and how it needed to be used, and I I just couldn't help but appreciate the irony. <laughs> Of that statement in the context of two pastors waxing not eloquently about how efficient language can be and should be. We're neither wrong nor right. <laughs> Let's start with that. 
Schrodinger's sermon, I understand. <laughs> yeah. It, it's either going to be great or not great. And as long as I don't preach it, both possibilities uh, exist. Until the, until the box is opened, it is both great and terrible at the same time. Yeah. It's a real thing. It, it, we, we may have just coined it, but it's a real thing. It, I'll tell you, yeah. Every, before I preach, I, I do the Psalm 19, let the words of my mouth, meditations of my heart, of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. And while I'm saying that, I'm also thinking, okay, what's going to happen next? <laughs> so it's that No, moment. really, baby Jesus, you got to pull me out on this one. <laughs> yeah, oh my gosh. More often than not, I'm like, I don't know, I don't know what's going to happen here. Let's, let's just see what happens. I did my best, God, and you know how lousy that is. So please step up to the plate here. <laughs> but in the end, we are the ones who give it meaning. <laughs> well, I'm glad that you nuanced that statement. Um, can I go to my Rylage or you want to? Oh, sure. Okay. So I have a bunch that I can. And I'm going to. I'm going to pick off some, but I'm not going to get into the, the main thing I'll stop with. But first, we're, we're in the height of the Advent season. Yeah, yeah, we're we're coming up on the Sunday of joy. Yeah, um, which is hard for me, in general. But I know you don't like pink. You know, I'm not against pink. I don't like wearing it. It doesn't look good on me. But the joy thing, I'm not really. Why big single on. out pink? <laughs> I don't know. She's a fine performer, a wonderful <laughs> singer, very talented. Um. It's the Christmas music I hate. I hate it. I just hate it so much. I can't stand it. Uh, and I find myself visibly cringing when I'm at coffee shops and it starts playing. I, I think people probably see me cringe and step in, like, move three t- tables down or something, which is good. So, clarification. Yeah. Is it that the Christmas music is terrible and that's what make you, makes you cringe or that it is Christmas music during Advent and that is what makes you cringe? It's more that the Christmas music is just terrible. Okay. I mean, the, especially since it's secular Christmas music, I don't care that it's playing during Advent because the world doesn't get Advent for the, by and large. Um, you know, I have a, um, a, a colleague of ours, Catherine Ray, put up a, a Spotify playlist of Advent music. Mm-hmm. I'm totally loving it. I've been really mm-hmm. into that. And some of it is actually quite sappy and syrupy, but it feels, but it's still appropriate Advent music. And I really appreciate her sharing that Spotify list. Okay. Um, so it's, I don't, you know, they're going to play their stupid Frosty the Snowman or whatever chestnuts on an open fire. I don't care. Um, it's just, I don't like the music. And maybe that it's out of season as well. It should be waiting. They should be waiting. But I've already decided that you know, our Christmas and the world's Christmas are really becoming more and more two separate holidays. That's fine. I just don't like the music. It's sac- it's saccharin. It it's offensive to I my ears. I was waiting for that word to come out. Yeah, I actually knew- was. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's probably one of the most apt words to describe <laughs> Christmas music. Yeah. Saccharin. Um so yeah, I don't like the the, the Christmas music. Disney Plus I'm a Netflix subscriber, a loyal Netflix subscriber. And and now there's so many... How long have they been sponsoring the podcast? <laughs> I know, right? Not long enough. <laughs> um, <laughs> and and uh, Disney Plus comes along and takes away my ability to stream, to, you know, really to mainline the Marvel movies. Um, so now I've got to be watching other things. 
Um, having said that, my father got a Disney Plus subscription, gave me the password, and which is legal apparently. You can give it as many people you want, and I've been on, I have been binging all the Marvel movies. But I'm still angry at Disney Plus, despite the fact that I'm now working my way through all the Marvel movies. Angry at them. I don't like it. But the thing that I'm really angry about, <laughs> the thing that's really getting me. Yo, actually, I'm going to interrupt you. Okay. I don't know if you've observed this or not, but one of one of Michael's observed pastoral care principles okay. is when someone comes to you with three things they want to talk about, the third one's the only one that matters. Yeah, well, yeah, that's why I did this. So, yeah, the first two are just right. fun little things that they're, they're going to— They're just warm up. Yeah. Warm up. Yeah. Building rapport. Right? Thanks, for, thanks for giving all the background inside baseball. <laughs> that's a secret to good podcasting is not telling people what you're doing. <laughs> And just letting it happen. Oh, oh. But I guess okay. in Kansas, there's no organic farming there, huh? Hey, hang on. I, I lost my place on that script you sent me. <laughs> We're on page five now. Page five. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I see it. I see yeah. it. Um, it's weak theology. Um, weak theology that goes on the edge of spiritualism. Now, I'm going to run the risk of offending a co- another colleague of ours. I'm not going to say this individual's name. But I just today saw an article and quickly read the article that this individual read or wrote. Obvious theology. It's, and, and it's just on the surface and doesn't go deep at all, is not challenging, and ends with, you know, if we all just try a little harder, we're all going to be okay. Well, that's the message of Jesus. Is that? Yeah, you jerks aren't working hard enough. <laughs> that, didn't he say that somewhere? You tell I me. I thought I could pull this. <laughs> 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 it's pop quiz time, yeah. Jonathan. <laughs> dang it, dang it. Wait, I have a Bible somewhere. No, wait, not in this room. <laughs> <laughs> no, I no, it, it's... Part of the challenge, I think, that the church today, broadly construed, is facing is that we, are, we have been trying to coast off of weak, thin spirituality. Um, Norman Vincent Peale, who a lot of Christians in the you know, 40s and 50s loved, really was just a theology of feel good about yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, that's Joel Olstein today. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, this, I'm taking, these are the easy pot shots. These are easy critiques to make. But it, what happens is I think it blurs the line between Christianity and just a, a blanket spiritualism. So how often do you encounter someone and they say, well, the universe will just show me a way. Or, you know, the fates are conspiring. Or this is what life has offered me. And you think, that's a theological statement. A weak one, but it still is a theological statement. And how often are those people church folk who should know better? I I would generally rather they invoke the universe than uh, suggest that uh, some of the activities involved were were God's will. Oh, which yeah. is another kind of weak theology. Oh, it is. Yeah, yeah. At least this individual yeah. wasn't doing some some yeah weak ass predestinarian peplum. Right. I got to use the word well, pebble. Well, they, they are. They're just leaving God out of it. Right. Right. So it's one thing for parishioners to be dabbling in this dangerous stuff. 
that's, you know, again, that's why they go to church, because we're the ones who give the meaning. <laughs> I'm glad you brought that back up. <laughs> Part of, but I mean, if, if so, 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 okay. Yeah. First of all, I'd really come on to this just planning on taking whatever opposite position on something <laughs> as you took. So I, I, I can't wait for you to say, no, weak but, spirituality and theology is important. Go ahead, no, Michael, take the stand. No, no, I'm going to, I'm about to do that, but then I'm <laughs> going to move past it to be on your side too. Okay, good. So, so our colleague in question, okay. Yep. Um, what if in the context that this person is writing to, um, that is the theology that the audience is capable of of hearing. What and all, so what if they're all preschoolers? You don't Maybe. you don't introduce a theory of relativity to a preschool class. That's kind of what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. If this person sees their audience as people who are so uh, 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 su- such neophytes mm. in the faith whether they want to acknowledge it or not, then wouldn't this be exactly the kind of uh, baby food mashed mush that they ought to be getting fed? That they're not ready for the meat of the gospel, they're still on the milk? I think someone else talked about that, right? Isn't that in the Bible? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That, okay. That's the best defense I've got. That's, and, and that's fair. Um, I would say this, I don't think it's fair for this particular situation. No, I, again, yeah. I repeat, I have not read the right, article, but you know, and and listeners, um, because this individual is a colleague, I'm not going to post a link to the article. Uh, I don't. I it's. I might. I never. I really don't like shaming people outright like that. So I'm not going to post a link, nor am I going to say where it can be found. And I apologize to the listeners for that, because here I am using an example and not backing it up. Uh, and I do feel somewhat badly about that, but also but you'll get over it quickly. I will, well, but I mean, in all sincerity, the person who wrote this is a human person with feelings, and I really don't want to be um, shaming. I know there's like a hip term for it, but I don't know what the term is. But I'm I'm not out to shame someone. I really am not. So we're not. I'm not going to do that, listeners. And I apologize. But I will tell you. Send me mm-hmm. your examples of weak ass theology. And I'll, and I'll tell you if you found the one or not. <laughs> and if anybody needs examples, what's the name of your blog again? <laughs> oh! oh. <laughs> I'll tell you, I make a point to make sure all of my writings are so long and pedantic that it's, you're not going to say it's thin. You're gonna like, I don't know what he's saying. I mean, there's something in there, I'm sure, but I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> something, something, economy of language, something, something. Something, something, Proust. <laughs> yeah. But you were going to, then you were going to turn it to another point. <clears throat> You, you... No, I'm, I'm just going to pivot to kind of in some ways come into agreement with you on this, that um, I, I do think the theology of the Christian church for more than 50 years mm-hmm. has been so completely weak that it has been devoid of power. Yeah. Um, and that uh, ultimately the Jesus that gets taught in most churches, that a Jesus that most of us, uh, if you grew up in a church, grew up with, is a Jesus who is is so uh, so impotent as to not have any bearing on your life at all. Yeah. Which is why I think the pinnacle of what uh, most Christians think they're supposed to do is walk the aisle, pray a Jesus prayer, follow Jesus, or, or follow the Romans road, 
and get their ticket punched to heaven. Mm-hmm. As long as their ticket's punched to heaven, they've done everything that's required of them. And, you, and uh, how many punches do you need to, need to have that? You only need one punch to do that. Yeah, you so don't even a, have to collect them. You're a one-punch man. Yeah. That was, that was a reference to an anime show. There's like maybe okay. one half of a person who got that out there. Wow. <laughs> I think that's a hopeful estimate. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Folks, go watch One Punch Man. It is amazing and absurd altogether. I mean, it, it, it's more work for me to fill my free haircut punch card or my free <laughs> yeah. coffee cup punch card than it is for me to get into the pearly gates. Right, right. Um, and, and I do think that has undermined not just our ability to be followers of Jesus, mm-hmm. but our ability to actually impact this world in ways that are consistent with God's priorities and purposes. Well said. Yeah. So that, and, and it's, like I said, I think if, if it was coming from a, a lay person, that would be different. Um, but you know, the, the really good scholars, and I'm not saying I, I'm there, but the, I, I really, I try, I try, but the really good scholars are able to write in such a way that is, um, digestible by a, a, a number of different people depending on where they are in their education or their, or their maturity, but pulls you to a deeper place. It, I it, call bogus on that statement. You think so? I do. So, I, I think writing in a way that's accessible to all ages and levels is a very unique gift that very few are endowed with. Well, first, let's not use the phrase very unique because that's a misunderstanding of the word unique. <laughs> but I think, I, but go on. Yes, yes. Uh, I, I've known some incredible scholars who, uh, who simply could not communicate outside of an incredibly uh, incredibly academic, hmm. high-achieving level. Um, and, and that's okay, because yeah. that's the context that they were in. Um, I, I've known folks who could never communicate to folks with that sort of high-level achievement academically, um, but, you know, we're absolute... Uh, muses practically when it came to communicating with some other age group or uh, education group or whatever like that. So I don't think Hmm. good scholarship naturally correlates with the ability to translate that scholarship into any possible context. Right. Yeah, not necessarily. Yeah, I would agree with you for the most part. Good communicators are the ones that usually can translate good scholarship in a way that's accessible to a broader swath of people. Obviously not all people, again, but, if we... But like, doing good scholarship and communicating good scholarship are different tasks. Fair. Yeah, I'll take that. I think that's a distinction <clears throat> I'm making. Your statements were sounding as though those doing the scholarship should all be good communicators, oh, and no. I don't think that's true. No, I've read enough Karl Barth to know he's a horrible communicator. <laughs> Good scholar. Please, no Proust. Come on. Even Proust, I, I don't. I would not recommend. You really are. Have you read any Proust yet? <laughs> not in totality. <laughs> Nor have I. But I'm almost. I'm getting there. I'm in book five. <laughs> um, you should maybe you should check it out, Michael. Maybe you should. Uh, 
Real low Proust. No, I, 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 I would agree that many um, really good scholars, probably most good scholars, are not great communicators. I would say that parish-based pastors... Pro- You're going to use the word should. Yeah, I know. Trying to not... But yeah, should. <laughs> but let's do it. I mean, there's, there's a way in which pastors are called to be communicators of the scholarship. At least in some circles of, well, communicators of something. Yes. Right? And in some circles of, of Christianity, American Baptist being one of them, where we, to a degree, still hold up education as important. Um, it would, we would say uh, communicators of scholarship that's out there. When I see a colleague of mine writing something that I really would describe as watered-down peblum, it bugs me because I would expect better. Mm-hmm. I expect more. And mm-hmm. I'm not expecting a long treatise with footnotes, but something that, you know, there's, if you, I want that spot in the article where you say, whoa, didn't see that coming. And, and, then, and then work from there. Or something of that nature. Um, but instead, what I saw was just what I expected to see, and it didn't go much, much further at all. And it really didn't offer much to churches and Christians that are wrestling with how to be relevant in this day and age. Which was one of the premises of the article of how to be relevant in this day and age. Didn't give much. And it's similar to if someone writes, if someone were today to write an article about, <laughs> you hold on to your thoughts. Someone write an article about um, how to combat racism today. And if they said, we just need to realize that every person is valued in the eyes of God and to treat everyone equally. That's a crappy article for today. If you're talking about racism. I mean, that's, that might have been a good article 50 years ago. It might have been somewhat groundbreaking 50 years ago, but hopefully not that. I mean, but today, if, if that's the best you can offer, don't write. Please. <laughs> don't offer your thoughts because you're hurting us more than you're helping. And that's part of what I felt with this article. And, and not just this individual, but every time I see weak spirituality, I want to say, please, just stop. Just don't talk. You're, you're not helping. You're hurting. Yeah. All right, go ahead. Well, and... Actually, I, I'm going to skip where I was. What I was thinking a minute ago, and cu- I, I want to hit. Uh, I want to hook off of that uh, a weak spirituality right, phrase. You're going to do the hook off. that a couple times. Yeah. So, so I, I want to suggest that it's not weak spirituality. I, I want to suggest that it is, in fact, not spirituality at all. <gasps> How is that possible? <laughs> Um, because I think spirituality suggests something larger than yourself. Okay. And the kind of weak spirituality you're talking about, practically, at least, does not really acknowledge anything larger than yourself. I, no, I can't agree with you on that. Usually I agree. When you point out places where you disagree, I usually agree with you. But this time, I think it is an, but this time, this once, I think it is an awareness of something bigger. I mean, I'm going to go back to, you know... The universe is trying to show me a way. Okay. Right? That is still speaking to an awareness of something bigger, but it, there's a, a real lack of an effort to give it a better articulation. It's a lazy speech act. 
if I may. Well, it's certainly a lazy speech act. And so that's where I would say the weak spirituality is, is akin well, to a lazy speech act. And, and I, I suspect maybe the nuance here has to do with how we might define spirituality. Ah, Go, and I haven't yeah. really thought this through well enough to be, give you a great definition. And yet from here my you are. <laughs> and yet here I am. Well, we're the ones. It like the, I do every week. But we're I the mean, ones who give it meaning. So. <laughs> <laughs> so, so to me, I think uh, a required component of spirituality involves a connection. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And in the kind of weak spirituality, this this uh, this fatalism uh, that just gives up to the universe, there's no connection that is desired, intended, mm. hoped for, nothing. It's simply descriptive of the way things are seen, and that's why I don't like the word ah. spirituality being brought into that. It, it is a, yeah. a religious worldview. Right, right, right. Yeah. But a religious worldview and a spirituality are different things. Okay, I'll buy that. I want to. I knew you'd agree with me eventually. Well, what about that? I don't agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I completely agree with you. I think there still is a spiritual. I think there is a, an, a, a way, a relationality or living out in that it's, it's more a very passive one. I do not have to be. You know, the universe has its way, but I don't have to do anything to try to be aware of that, to try to push it, to try to move it, to try to, you know, I just, this is just the way things are going for me. But, but, but again, to me, that's a worldview. That has nothing to do with the spirituality, because I think a spirituality inherently, no matter what context you're talking about, involves somehow yourself being grown to something else hmm. because you've got some connection to something I would say that's a healthy spirituality. That's that's. I don't think it has to be a healthy spirituality. I th I think it could be an unhealthy spirituality. If but that it's was still relational. If that was meant to be a subtle dig of Scientology, I won't have it on this show. <laughs> <laughs> I will not if have it. If the shoe fits. <laughs> <laughs> and I should say, so I think I'm slightly influenced. I just read um, David Bentley Hart's book, The Experience of God, uh, and he goes in this long diatribe. I shouldn't call it a diatribe, but it is, um, about nobody really is an atheist um, because everyone has this sense that there is something bigger. And as soon as you even make an allowance of that, you're not an atheist. And you may say, I don't believe. I just think there's something, you know, it's, if there's a mystery. Like, well, they, you're not an atheist. You may not be a Christian, but you're not an atheist. So that's probably influencing the, the difference in the nuance of what we're saying here for me. But that's okay. I don't want us. We let's not get lost well, but, in those weeds. I, I don't. I don't mind leaving this to rest. But yeah. I, I still think, even with David, uh, with David Rob, Bentley Hart, blah, 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 blah. Hart. yeah, David Bentley Hart's uh, expression there. Um, I, I think he's describing a worldview. I still don't think he's describing a spirituality. Perhaps I need more time to think about it. Okay. I'll write a I'll write a lengthy essay about it and send it to you. Okay. <laughs> I'll make sure I flag your email account so it all just goes straight into that unread folder. What? 
Is that why you haven't responded to any of the other stuff I've sent you? It's always like, thought you might find this read interesting, and I never hear back from you. <laughs> now I know. Well, after like three years of kitten memes, Jonathan, I had to do something. <laughs> Those kitten memes had deep, profound, spiritual, and theological meaning. Uh, no, those kittens had deep, profound <laughs> eyes that you could gaze into. Yeah, you just get lost in them. You just can't look away. I have a problem. Let's just admit it. I have a problem. My problem is kittens and kitten memes. I admit it, and that's the first step. Let's say. Let's refine that to say you have problems, and one of them <laughs> is kittens and kitten memes. I think another might be the people I have on my show as guests. It could be. I need to find more sycophants. Yeah. Actually, let me rephrase that. that. I need to find a sycophant. Yeah. <laughs> just, just one. I just, just need one. All right. So anyway, I think we both agree <laughs> that weak theology and spirituality is bad. Yeah. Good. All right. Let's not nuance it. Yeah. Just leave it there as is. Okay. Okay. Are you, this was probably this was one of the more um, academic and intellectual <laughs> rilages. <laughs> I, I did think of one other rilage piece that I potentially had that somewhat segues in. But all right, go, let's, let's just just give it give a we, tease. Yeah, give a tease. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I uh, I found myself in a few conversations lately where people are talking about common sense. Thomas Paine's book. No, no, no. Oh, what's the point? Exactly. Oh, the Scottish philosophy. Yeah. No. Oh. <laughs> so you can anyway, tell where my it, mind goes. <laughs> it, it was very much sort of some OK Boomer types of conversations. OK. Um, where, where somebody who uh, may or may not have been Boomer age actually was sort of ranting a bit about, oh, these kids these days don't know how to do this, don't know how to do that. And so in conversation with them, I started to realize that I don't actually believe common sense is a thing. Huh. Um, I, I don't believe uh, – well, my definition of common sense, uh, common sense is the things that are obvious to me because I learned them before I remembered learning them. Wow. That is an interesting epistemological position that you're claiming. Yeah. That, so you're – so Yeah. That's the things that I learned before I would say it again. Uh, it, it, it is the things that are obvious okay. because I learned them before I could. I remember learning them. Well, other people may say we're born with these innate, this innate right. ability to be, realize right. what is obvious and what isn't. No, but, but, but none of the stuff that ever gets cited is an example of common sense, is an example of what is, what is just obvious that one would be born with. They're all learned behaviors. They just don't remember learning them. Yeah. Who was the one that talked about the tabula rasa, that were born with the tabula rasa? Was that John Locke? We're born with a blank slate. Don't we know. don't know anything. And others will say we're born with knowing some things. It's just learning what we already know. That was, I don't know. That was Plato for sure. But uh, anyway, so yeah. So, you're, so people talk about it's just common sense. It's just right. It's common sense that when someone says hello, you say hello back to them. Right. That's right. just common sense. And you're saying, I, I don't know if it is. It's a learned behavior. I mean, for example, I, I learned as a kid when we went into the city of Chicago, you don't take anything anybody offers you. Right. So 
you pass somebody on the street, they try to give you a newspaper. You don't get that newspaper. You don't touch that newspaper. Right. Because uh, then they're going to say that's a dollar or five. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so someone says hello to you. Do you say hello to them? Well, no. In some people, for some people, in some places, you learned before you remembered learning, mm-hmm. you learned not to say hello because that was going to engage you in a conversation that was going to somehow put you in a compromising position. Right? Right. You're, it's obvious to you that it's righty tighty lefty loosey with screws. You know, if you're right. you're doing some IKEA furniture or something like that, right? <clears throat> well, no, it's not a common sense. You learned that at some point in time. You just don't remember when you did. Right. So get off everyone's back is what I hear you saying. Get off the young yeah. people's back. It's just yeah. that you folks haven't taught them. Exactly. And, and that's exactly my point, is that these, these folks that you are getting angry at because they don't know things that seem obvious to you, right. never were taught what you were taught, and or their life experiences are so different than yours, and probably in tragic ways, that they never even had the ability to learn some of these kinds of things. Right. And, and we see this with um, worship. Oh, Why yeah. don't people come? Don't they know that when it says invocation, of course yeah. it means prayer. It's just common sense. Yeah. You know that. You come into church. Why aren't you wearing a three-piece suit and tie, Jonathan? It's just common sense. It's common sense, so, right? So now the idea of, right, you know what? No, I'm not going to do it. I was going to go into a little bit of a discourse of where the idea of common sense philosophy comes from and sh- shared values and such. But yeah, exactly. The show's been, the episode's been going on long enough. People can work with that on their own. But yeah. yeah, you know what? Just because you think it's common sense, not you, Michael, but you, broad, right? Um, doesn't right. just because it's something that was out of your experience doesn't mean it's going to be a shared experience. Well, and part of what part of what brought this back to my mind was actually the weak theology conversation we were having, mm. because I have heard folks try to make claim that some of those things in the weak theology, well, those are obvious things that testify to you know, a greater things, so to speak. Those are the common sense parts of faith. Right. But they're not the common sense parts of faith. They're the parts that you were taught are the common sense parts of faith. So you just use this as a subtle way to slam my whole rileage. I did. I did. <laughs> you were such a <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Michael Strickland is the pastor of the First Baptist Church of Atchison, Kansas. <laughs> Michael, what time is your worship service? 10. 10 o'clock. That's 10 a.m. or p.m.? Because yes. I'm not assuming just because I'm used to worshiping in the morning doesn't mean it's like that for you. Jerk. <laughs> 10, 10 a.m. Central su- Standard Time. On Sundays. Yes. Okay. So in all, in all sincerity, go to Michael's church if you're in the greater Atchison area um, or, you know, if you're in Kansas at all, because it's a small state. It's easy to get from one place to the other. Go, go check out the First Baptist Church of Atchison, Kansas. Don't go to the Lutheran church there. You get bored to death. Depends on which Lutheran church. <laughs> no, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> Make sure if you go to any of them, it's ELCA. Uh, but yeah, 10, 10, 10 a.m., on Sunday mornings. Uh, I'm at the First Baptist Church in East Greenwich, Rhode Island. Our worship services are at 9.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Well, as always, in all sincerity, it is, it is a joy to have you on the show. I do deeply appreciate it. Uh, and thank you very much for being on the show. Well, thanks. Rylage. <laughs>
Okay, well, there it was. My Rileage with Michael Strickland. Or another way to call that is Michael Strickland trying to point out all the ways in which I'm wrong. Thanks, Michael. Thanks a lot. But I will stick by that idea that the pastor's job is to tell people what things mean, especially things in the Bible. Yep, that's what we do. Often, we don't do it well. And that's all I'm going to say about that. I hope you enjoyed this um, episode. It took me longer to post it than I hoped. Um, but, you know, holiday season, etc., etc. That happens. If you want to send a comment about this show or any other show or anything else, if you just would like to find someone to talk to, uh, send me an email to 12enough at gmail.com. 12 is written out. You can also go to the show page, 12enough.com, and you can find the show notes for this show and other shows. So go check that out. It's always interesting stuff. Yeah. Uh, and go to Facebook, Facebook slash 12enough. 12 is written out. And as always, thank you very much for listening. 12 and Up is a podcast about Christian faith and culture in the modern age. Your host is Jonathan Malone, a pastor who sometimes talks awkwardly when recording podcasts. Your guest host was Michael Strickland, a pastor who talks awkwardly when not recording podcasts. You got the best of him. The ideas, thoughts, and, oh, and also Michael Strickland is the pastor of the First Baptist Church of Atchison, Kansas. I'm the pastor of the First Baptist Church of East Greenwich, Rhode Island. This is one of my worst outros that I've ever recorded. But it doesn't mean that the ideas, thoughts, opinions, ruminations, moments of brilliance, moments otherwise, and anything else said on this podcast don't represent or do represent the um, churches, the denominations, the families, the friends, or anything else. They don't represent them. They might, but they don't. We're speaking on our own behalf. I want to be clear about that. This is, these are our ideas. This was indeed our podcast.